a good a good platoon sergeant will relentlessly bully the yes. you know the platoon leader relentlessly. Hey guys, we're Seven and Nomad with the Hard Time Strong Men podcast, cheering up a bear class of man. And today we are continuing our series, The Ranger Handbook Abridged, Part 2, Chapter 1, Leadership. That's found in TC3-21.76. And we're going to take a little deep dive into the Army's uh, core leadership model, different roles within that leadership model, that, that unit of the platoon, and how we can apply that to the layman. So to start off, leadership is the process of influencing people by providing purpose, direction, and motivation to accomplish the mission. So Nomad, you weren't in the army, you're in the Canadian army, but you've obviously heard of the Ranger handbook. You've, uh, as a leader, um, I'm sure have you know, read all, all kinds of books and tried to uh, equip yourself the best for your role. So, uh, our armories differ vastly. But as a leader, you know, a lot of the stuff transfers over and, you know, unfortunately by trial and error, we found out what works and what doesn't, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. So going through this ranger handbook, um, we're trying to apply one-to-one so people don't actually have to read this because this thing is absolutely horrible to try and read. But this chapter specifically is almost entirely filled with, uh, you know, just army jogger army jargon, army speak. So it's kind of difficult to uh, make it easier to read without sound like we're reading, you know, verbatim from the book. So we're going to be branching off a little away from that, but try to give off the, the foundational, um, I guess, concept of this. So. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely things I think from this that can be applied to normal people. It's just like you said, people get lost in the weeds and because looking at it right now with you, it's literally just a military field manual, so it's it's obviously all the all the jargon that they army it up. But um, a lot of the specifics in this are not applicable outside of an actual platoon with you know a huge rear echelon supporting you. So, um, but I think the leadership chapter, like most definitely, can help a lot of people if you take it in the yeah, right 100%. context. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like if you're able to glean off the 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 fruits of this then it can be very applicable to you know wherever you are whatever you're doing so to kick off so principles of leadership so a leader gives purpose direction and motivation and the leadership model or the leadership requirements model establishes what leaders need to be know and do that's something we were drilled in from day one about leaders be no do and in everything so so attributes B, so your leader needs to have character, they need to lead, they have a presence, they have intellect, they develop and they achieve, so they get results. So I'll never remember, or I'll never forget rather, um, when I first got to my first actual unit in the army, because I don't know how it is in uh, you know Canadian basic, but when we were going through basic, we had essentially the cream of the crop for our virtual instructors. So we had all staff sergeants, all guys who were just super made or super motivated PT studs. They knew every FM, they knew every, you know, soldiering task, you know, front backwards, they could teach you everything. 
and they were just on you all the time. And, you know, their mentality was, we're going to make you the absolute best because, you know, that's, you know, we have a very limited time to do it. And, you know, here we go. And so when I got to my first unit and, you know, I had this fat E5, you know, tell me that we could, you know, oh, well, if you guys want to take a smoke break, we can go ahead and do that. And, you know, just be back in an hour. You know, it was just, it was just culture shock to see the, the huge divide between, you know, what I thought a leader was supposed to be and then, you know, seeing the reality of what, you know, quote unquote leader actually is in the army. Yes. Um, <clears throat> culture shock or not, I feel like you still got the better, uh, the better culture shock because you were exposed right away to a high standard. And that is the difference. Um, I talked about this with Nocturne Kinetics before and how in other militaries, not just Canada, but um, other militaries don't have drill instructors. Like it's not a position. So you're getting taught by any clown at whatever rank in Canada. So I wasn't taught by the cream of the crop. I wasn't taught by like the most elite, the most physically fit. And usually, and I figured this out when I got to my actual unit later, um, units would post out the worst people to the school. So you're getting the worst people. You're getting guys that the uh, unit doesn't seem or doesn't deem operationally fit. So they'll shove That's them in so the school. frustrating. So there's huge problems with that, obviously, because you're teaching people who at the core level of a recruit in any job, not even the military. If you did this for any other profession, when you're trying to set up precedence or a strong foundation for skills or for, you know, um, instilling like ethos and the right culture, you're getting the wrong people right away because you're sending like your clowns to this place because the operational side so doesn't want setting them. up your new people for failure. So for me, it was kind of reversed. Like what you said, where you were like, you saw the cream of the crop. You saw, you saw these PT studs, like the army was set like very high. And then you get to your unit and you're like, wow, these guys are clowns. I got to my unit, man. And it was like fear because they were so much more intimidating wow. than like my basic. Yes. Yeah, definitely culture shock for sure. Yeah. It's just the other way. But, um, I don't know which way is better. Like I've, I've thought about it a lot over the years and I'm like, man, if, if I would have known, uh, what it was or the lack of leadership in these like basic organizations at the lowest level, when you, when you're a recruit, I'm like, I don't think I would have joined if I would have known the quality. Um, because again, it's just, and not like not to get so deep in the huge differences, but I do like, again, following the U S model, um, you guys have basics specific to branch and not only branch um, within some MOSIDs. So if you're going to be an infantryman, you go to an infantry basic. In Canada, because we're so much smaller, I did basic with Army, Air Force, and Navy, and I had instructors from all three branches, That's and I was on an infantry contract. No. It doesn't work. It, it like The model does not work. And their argument is, well, we're all trained to the same standard. I'm really like, yeah, but standard, it's a really yeah. low standard. And then when you get to your actual operational unit, the unit is filled with studs. Well, it was during the GWAT when people actually cared. These guys are like, everything you learned, just dump. I'm like, but I've been taught things a certain way for six months, so now you're telling me it's wrong? So it's, it was a waste well, of yeah. my time. And, then. you know, think about all the guys that lost motivation because of that. Like, that's crazy. I knew a lot of guys that got out after that, man. Like, literally got to our unit, that's and they insane. released after, like, two years. Two well, or three years, thing- depending on their contract. Because well, basic was just too. a waste so, of time. You know, like training everybody to the same standard. So if you're supposed to be an infantryman and you're getting trained to the same standard as a desk clerk, like that doesn't track. Yeah, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And, uh, I was very fortunate. Um, so again, depending on how big your courses are, like your basic or whatever, 
they broke us into i'll just use all american terminology so it doesn't confuse people so whatever you're right. in your platoons you're in your squads right and you have like your squad leader for your courses i was very fortunate because my squad leader was a combat engineer other squad leaders were like like one of them literally was an air force clerk how is he teaching From the basic branch from a different trade completely, man. This guy didn't even know anything. But again, on basic training, the argument is, well, you're going to learn everything you need to know what your unit. I'm like, why am I doing basic then? It's literally a complete waste of time. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just trying to blink. I can't, I and, can't and even the, like, I don't know how to process <laughs> that. No, no, there is no pro to it. But again, um, the culture shock for me before I got to my unit and saw the reality of what basic training was, um, my, Again, we call him different terms. My section commander, who was a combat engineer, he wasn't even there um, permanently at the school. And how they do it in Canada is you're posted to these schools for like whatever the rotation is, three years, five years, whatever. That's all you do. You just teach basic training. This guy was only there as like an attachment. He wasn't there permanently. It was just he was doing one basic and then he left. So he was still in the mentality of what an actual operational unit was. So he ran our section way more tight. Like he PT'd us more. He showed us the reality of what you would like be exposed to at your units, like not right. even like war, it's basic, but he just talked to us in a more professional manner the versus everyone else was like a robot because they were just reading a field That's manual good, at least. from a school. Yeah. But again, I, I like that I was fortunate because he was my section commander, but um a lot of other people in the platoon on my basic were, you know, again taught whatever by their air force person. Or Navy. There was a couple Navy guys too teaching, which is again is like a joke because you could be a musician That's in the so Canadian forces, and you're teaching future infantry guys. Wow. So like, so like the Army's leadership style, you know, or leadership model, be no do. So be, you know, your character, you have values, you know, you're physically fit, you know, you're a, a leader, you lead others. Uh, no, so you know your job, you know everybody else's job. You can pick up, you know, we say two up, one down, right? So you can pick up two leadership positions above you and you're training, you know, your, um, your replacement, right? So you're leading, you know, directly the guys directly under you, you lead by example for, you know, adjacent people, people who are in your unit. Uh, and then situationally, if you have to, you know, pick up extra responsibilities, you can do that too. And then do so you are, uh, your outcomes, right? So first and foremost, you're completing your mission, you know, you're, leading you know, excellently you're giving excellent leadership to your joes and you know, you're making fitter better you know harder to kill units structures so do do the canadian forces have anything similar to that model when you were in it yeah they had something called the principles of leadership honestly i don't um i could look it up while we're talking but i don't remember it because like i said everything on their principles of leadership model was like a big joke because a lot of people didn't actually display competence or like actually live by these ethos it was just a laundry list of things but you said that, that you came up with your own right in the pre-show um oh yeah it was like not a good leadership model though I, I i i wrote a very sarcastic one on what the leadership actually like conveyed and i gave it to all the troops and they thought it was like hilarious they ended up like printing it at work and posted it around battalion because they thought it was like so funny because it was an accurate representation but uh, yeah, so one of the examples that they followed was, um, or one of the the lists on their ethos is like, um, it changes over the years. There was like seven uh, principles. I think 11 was the one I got shown on my first leadership course, but it's like, know yourself okay. and seek self-improvement. Be technically and tactically proficient. 
develop a sense of responsibility among subordinates, make sound and timely decisions, set an example, know your people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's right. just a laundry list of crap that they read that they're supposed to follow as an ethos model. But like we said, you know, furthermore, um, Canadian military is just such a, it's a very small military, but they encompass all of us in one like identity, which is weird. Like okay. they don't do branch specific stuff. So like the leadership, the, the principles of leadership is not an army model, if that makes sense. It's like for the entire air force, the entire army, armed forces, etc. But be, the entire armed forces claims they follow this model. But like I said, if you actually were in the military for longer than an hour and got to a unit, you'd look at all the people who don't exemplify any of this. And you're like, why, like, how are they a leader? They don't even follow. The well, it's like model. when the army, like the army always pushes, Oh, you know, our, our, our unit lethality. And it's like, you're a bunch of cooks. Like the hell are you talking about lethality for? Yeah. It's just the, the big organizations. I, it, it I even me. remember, I even remember two man being on like really, really big. Um, well, again, big in context because it's Canada, but like a brigade exercise. So like a brigade commander comes out, this general, and talks to everyone, and everyone's there, and there's probably like a couple hundred infantry because it's right. Canada and we're the minority. And he says like, "Oh, you guys are warriors on this exercise." And you look around to your left and right, and like literally, people have been in a can like like a fake fob in the field for six weeks and haven't left their tent. I'm like, I don't see any warriors here, dude. Like. <laughs> There's very few and far in between, so I don't know who you're talking to. It's just, it's very, like, confusing and it's lost. And, like, the reality of it, well, like I said, when you've been in a unit, you know, whether it's three years or over a decade, like me, I'm like, you see it's not what they claim it yeah. is very quickly. Well, it's like, so me and Six were on a, uh, on a exercise. I don't remember, I don't know if this was at NTC or just at our home unit, but um, we were at KP duty. So we were on like kitchen duty cause we had, you know, quote unquote died. Right. So we were getting respawned with everything, but we were helping the cooks do their job because apparently they couldn't do their jobs themselves and we got attacked and they all panicked and they couldn't do anything. And, you know, I think it was six picked up a, picked up one of their rifles and it was a completely stripped M4, nothing on it. And it was just rusted. <laughs> And, you know, he pulled the charging out back. You know, it's like all the past generations screaming. It was like, what in the world? You know, how can you be? And that's why I never understood about all these, you know, oddball MOSs, all these oddball jobs. It's like, how can you be in the army? I don't understand why this isn't just contracted out. Like, shouldn't the army's job be to, yeah. and you know, just fight wars instead of all this, all this other extra stuff? It's just, it's wild. Yeah, and... I will say at this though, again, looking from the outside in, at least with you guys, um, again, I know it's different now, but um, when I dealt with the U.S. forces when I was in, um, your branches were wearing different uniforms, right. which makes sense. Like I, I support that and like respect that, but in Canada, we all wore the same. Some units wore different ones depending on like where you were within a specialty. Let's I'll just leave it at that. But the normal like big green military army air force we all wore the same uniform so yeah we all wore the same one the only the only differentiation between branches was the name tape on your uniform if you're in the air force it's got blue writing if you're in the navy it was black if you're in the army it's green and then your rank um was the same thing it was black or blue or green but they all wore cat bat they all wore the same thing and from far um, for anyone looking at the digital pattern, like I can't see like specifics on the green for the army person, like the rank, because it's all the right, same. Right like, when you're what a new rank guy. is that guy? 
Um, and you're looking at people's ranks. I'm, I'm like, what rank is that guy? What unit is he? Like, I don't know. We all look the same. And the only the other differentiation thing is like the berets, right? Because we didn't um, – Canada doesn't wear like – We call What them, did you guys call it? We call them PCs, Not patrol the cover, caps. But, no, n- patrol caps. So yeah. that's the one that looks like yeah. a baseball hat, right? So we don't have anything like that. We literally wore a beret all the time. It's not just for your dress uniform. Like we wore it oh, okay. in garrison with your like combat uniform. So other than the beret color, like everyone looks the same. It's just one big, one big Canadian forces. And I'm like, there's no differentiation between branches really. Yes, there is for some jobs, but like you all look the same. You know what I mean? The ranks are very similar. Yes, there's specifics like uh, artillery has different terms. Um, armored has different terms. Navy has like POs, you know, Air Force has whatever, but um in the big scheme i'm like as a new person looking in or trying to fit into this culture everyone looks kind of the same but it's not even a sense of oh we're all the same team we're one big happy family i'm like there's a very big difference between my job and that cook like you said so i don't understand why we're all treated the same or they think we're well well, there's no differentiation there can be no pride you know i mean there's nothing to say you're you know there's nothing to say you you know like a pt stud you know guy who you know, is, you know, super active and engaged in his job versus, you know, some desk clerk or a war purification specialist who's there for, mm. you know, welfare, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, and it's not a way to, to say it's like, you know, elitist or like you're better than people. But um, the reality is in, in life throughout human history, there's been winners and losers and there's leaders and followers. And I just, I wasn't a loser and I was in a leadership position. And I, even when I was a new guy, I was like a leader among the privates. You know what I mean? I just wasn't cool with following orders and being a loser. So I think like that's something that's lost for a lot of people when they leave the military. And even within where the big militaries are going now with everything going on, um, I think reminding people that, yeah, these leadership models are not just a bunch of like words on a laundry list. Like there's something that you should live by. And, you know, they used to mean something. And they can mean something again, you know? Yeah. I, f- I think people just need a friendly yeah. reminder <laughs> on what these things could mean. And I really like, though, when you started this, um, the verbiage you guys use in, again, the Ranger Handbook. Um, you're using the term leader. Like, it's not manager, right? Like, you're right. using the word leader, an army leader, right? And even like the beginning, you said um, inspires, influences. It's not like dictates, right. motivates, or, you know, commands. It's like you guys use certain words. Motivates, yeah. Like these are these are powerful words. So when you're new joining this massive organization, you're more likely to follow someone who's leading you or influencing you than someone who's commanding oh, and dictating. I can, so I can think of two examples. One, one guy, team leader I had, worst team leader I ever had in the army. Hated his guts. Would a probably fracture if I could. Um, but this dude was always screaming, always getting in your face, always smoking you, you know, whatever, anything he could do to keep on, you know, keep a hold of that little, you know, bit of control that he had. Right. And then on the other hand, the best squad leader, best leader in the army I ever knew, I never heard him yell except to be louder than a gun ever. You know, if he was like commanding fires, then, you know, of course he'd yell so you'd hear him. But if he was disciplining you or telling you what to do, he'd never, you know, his voice would never rise over, a, you know, a conversational tone because he commanded presence. You know, I mean, he had that commanding presence. He motivated his dudes 
and you know, he just he embodied everything that a leader was in the army so you wanted to follow him you wanted to do good by him and i feel like that's just uh you know the shining the shining example for me as far as what a you know a leader in the army is yeah like 100% is that um he's he's influencing um actions from his people because he's like displaying competence right. you know what i mean so he doesn't he doesn't have to yell he doesn't have to raise his voice cuz his guys are going to want to work for him because they know they don't want to let him down or like they know that he's expecting things of him without him like um, exactly you know team. and you know, he would never ask you to do something that he wouldn't do himself. You know, habitually, always he was. That's a big the, one. Yeah, that's a really big you know, one. And for he me. was always the first to wake up, yeah. last to go to sleep. He'd always eat last. I mean, just yeah. all these little leadership traits that you know, like you said, are seemingly being lost, but you know, it is so impactful for you know for subordinates to see that and to watch that being lived out. It's you know, it's incredibly important. Hmm. Yeah, and I really, I just really like the words that you guys use um, again. So, like you said, team leader, and we were talking about it kind of in the pre-show. We didn't use that word in our military. It was section commander. I'm like, yeah, but commanding is implying he's in a power yeah. of authority over you. You guys called them platoon leader. We were platoon commander. Yeah. It's just like the words alone puts are like very like... It puts them up on a pedestal, yeah. man, and guys hate it. I mean, immediately. You know yeah. I mean? guys are fearful of you. Well, and yeah, it just it completely yeah. negates any possibility of, like, interpersonal, um, like, relationship with those guys. It's like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that guy. He's the commander. Yeah. You know? Like, he's, he's separated. He's the commander. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then even, like you said, um, in relation to the best leader you've had, you said he's getting like, he's not making you do something he wouldn't do. And I knew so many section commanders in the army that couldn't even do what they asked of you. And they wouldn't help you with it. They'd be like, well, I'm the section That's commander. They'd like leave. But then whenever I was in a leadership position, um, I never called myself a section commander. I never did. I always used the word leader and my platoon commander hated it. He's always like, we're not American. You're the, you're the section commander. That's your rank. I'm like, no, I'm just a bro who's in charge of these right. dudes. Cause I've been here longer. And I have more experience. Like, obviously I do. I've been here longer. I've been a professional soldier for over a decade by this point. These kids are 18. Like, I I recognize that. But I'm not going to get them to do something that I can't do better. I'm just doing it because I'm in that position where I have to get them to do stuff. And, like, I called all my guys by their first name. I knew where they were from. You know what I mean? It was very different. Yes, The relationship I had with them. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you didn't perform in my, again, section, that's what we called them. Um, I've only ever two people in the whole time I was in like the, the higher position of section commander, only two guys in my whole career that I remove. And I told the platoon commander, I'm like, you're moving him not to another section. I'm like, I do not want him, but everyone else in my section did yeah. not want to leave. Well, because, and you know, you slipped so, it in there, but you never asked your guys to do anything that you couldn't do better. And you know, that, you know, you're yeah. holding yourself to a higher standard. You know, and that constantly challenging yourself to be better and to raise that bar, I guarantee is a huge factor in why they wanted to stay. Yeah. And like, um, not to get too sidetracked on like the Canadian model, but again, um, for you guys in the States, and I know we talked about this. So again, we're, we're referencing the Ranger handbook. So it's, it's valid to talk about if you're not in the Ranger regiment, 
but you do ranger school, you get a ranger tab. It's earned. You get to wear it, right? And that's like a thing of pride. People want to wear that tab, right? Once they get it, like they wear it no matter what unit they're in. People look at them and they're like, that guy is a leader. He's ranger qualified. He's super switched on. Um, He's probably physically fit. He probably knows patrolling in and out, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Canada doesn't do any of that with any any courses. There's no cool guy courses where you get a tab. You can't wear anything on your uniform. They make us all the same because they want us. There's no. They don't want elitist attitude. Any of that stuff. So I made tabs for guys in my section nice. and I made them all wear it. I separated them from the platoon and I called them by the section call sign and I called the other nice. two sections losers. <laughs> and then my section knew that they were better. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to make them better. I'm going to make them tabs and they're going to wear it. And then it stuck to the point that our company commander on uh, one of the workup trainings for um, for Poland, like that we went to eventually, um, he used to call my That's section awesome. by the call sign that I made for them. And he was like so high up in the chain of command in the company, but he knew that was my section's name because they had tabs. I made them wear it. And I told them, I don't care who tells you to take it off. You tell that, you tell that NCO yes. officer, come find me. And I will tell them yes. they're, you're never going to take it off. Yeah. So, and again, like having that separation, it's not an elitist attitude at all. I'm like, it's totally healthy and normal to want dudes to be better than you were when you were coming through. And it's, and like you said, building that sense of, community and um like building rapport with them right because they knew that like they could talk to me but like you said if if something ever happened i didn't have to yell at them i could give them disappointed dad speech and these guys didn't want to let me down Uh, that was more effective than me like threatening my rank because you built that rapport with them you know it makes me think so a couple things uh you know what you said about you know hey if anybody tells you to take that off you have them come find me you know what i mean so you're taking responsibility for that Whereas anybody else, I saw it all the time where, you know, you could set a Joe on a task, have him go do something, and he'd get sidetracked by someone telling him to do something else. Or, you know, you oh, go, man, yeah, I, and it's like, I hate that. you know, so no, like something I learned from my, you know, team leader and something that I passed off to my dudes was, you know, if I tell you to do something, go do it. I don't care what rank they are. If they tell you to do something else, come find me because I need to get that done. And I... If someone's going to get smoked for you telling somebody, no, it's going to meet me, you know, because that's on me because I told you to do yeah, it. Right. Exactly. And then another thing about, you know, making you guys stand apart. I think I told you this you know, months ago when we first started working together, but um, I was part of our weapon squad right before I left. And the way that my squad leader set up his weapon squad. So his, um, you know, his machine gun squad was you had to go through, you know, the entire, so normal, uh, fire team, normal, you know, rifle squad all the way up to team leader. And then he would select a team leader out of, you know, the, the teams in our platoon who he wanted to come onto his squad. So it's like you graduated. So he was pretty much cherry picking the best people, cherry picking guys that were squared away. Mm -hmm. And then you knew, like everyone in the platoon yeah. knew that if you were on that squad, like you were squared away, like you were the cream of the crop and, you know, you were handpicked and yes. naturally, you know, leadership didn't mess with our squad because we knew what we were doing and we got stuff done. And so, oh, well, if they're going to, if they're doing yeah. something like we're not going to mess with that. And, you know, he, you know, our squad leader built that rapport with the chain, you know, with leadership, like, Hey. I got stuff to do. I'm making these guys better. You know, let's do our thing. And it freaking happened. <laughs> like it, it's wild what happens when you know, yeah. leaders actually take responsibility and raise the standard. You know, it's like doors open, man. It's like magic. 
I even remember too, man, if um, towards the end of my career, right as I was like, they knew I was like leaving the military, but if they, in the platoon level or a company even, if company usually, if they're like, we need people to do this, like a work party for whatever the day, I would grab my section and nice. I'd hide them. And then if it was on the platoon level and they'd be like, I need people to do this, I'd go into the platoon commander's office and say, my guys aren't doing that. I'm doing training with them. You can get one and uh, two. I love it. They're doing nothing. Or if something actually had to get done and, and they're like, we need all these people from the company, I would volunteer my section to do it, but I'd go with them nice. and I would take over. What Whatever company NCO was like required or like delegating a task, I would walk up to them and usually it was like same rank as me. And I'd say, hey, I'm here with my guys. What do you need done? Tell me what has to happen and I'm going to cool. do it and I'm going to do it with them. Yeah, so I know it's Whereas, being done like it's being said, done well. I, Exactly. And it, and it's not that I don't trust them and they need to supervision because that's the difference. I'm there literally with my shirt off with them working. Like they could be, you know, moving ammo, filling sandbags, whatever. I'm like, I'm literally there with them doing it. Yeah. Lean by examples. Well, it's like that, uh, the graphic you showed me, uh, a boss versus a leader. Yeah. Right. The boss is standing on the pedestal being dragged by the slaves and the leaders in the front leading. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, this is just, um, it's something that's written in the Ranger Handbook, and clearly anyone can buy this and read it. But is it actually like uh, actioned upon, you know, at the lowest level in the platoon? And right. like we said in the pre-show, that like it's it's a lost, uh, it's a lost craft, it's a lost art, it's a lost, it, and not even an art. I'd say it's a way of life, you know, like being a, you know, embodying the, like the virtues of a of a true leader. It's just people don't really care anymore, or people don't know, they don't know what it actually means to lead. Right. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, it's not just leading in the army. It's not just leading in the workplace. You know, I mean, yeah, it's leading like, in life. Yeah. Leading in life, <laughs> leading in the home. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you do as a father? You know, you're first to wake up in the morning, you're last to go to bed. You make, exactly. you make sure your family's fed before you eat. I mean, it's a way, like you said, it's a way of life, you know, being a leader like that's, it, it is what it is, you know, and because we've lost so much of that in, you know, men in our time. You know, I firmly believe that's why we're, you know, paying for it right now. I'm, uh, it's sad to say this as an example, but I'll, it's like this, a lot of people can relate to. Um, I definitely learned more from, I learned more from worse leaders than I did from really good ones. Cause they'd exemplify how not to be. Pain is a very good teacher. (laughs) Yeah. Or like hate when you're really new at the bottom and you see that person at whatever rank. I'm like, when I become that rank, I'm not going to be like him. Yeah. I, or what, or once I get rank, I'm going to like fight him now. I'm going to like hold it personal and I'll remember him. Oh yeah. I've got a, you know, can, <laughs> you know, I've got a handful of guys where, you know, like you said, growing up in the army, it's like, all right, well, whatever he's doing, I'm not doing that. Exactly. Because that's, that's not it. Yeah. And it's the same thing out of the army, just like what you said with, you know, leading life as, you know, as like, uh, as like a father or a husband or whatever your situation is. A lot of people, good people who want to be better, they try and be better than their parents were. Right. Like it's no different from the army. You're just being normal about it. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, there's no, you know, there's no conflict there because you should want your, you know, your children to live better than you did. Right. Exactly. Just like as a leader in the military, I wanted my guys to have a better, like, go at things than I did as, like, a new guy. Yeah. I mean, and I wanted my dudes to be better than I was. Yeah. Always. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think it's something that's lost. But, um, 
Yeah, I think I think the verbiage is a key though, like for yes. um the US military as a whole, regardless if people exemplify these uh, characteristics or not. The terminology is still there for a reason and I think people need a constant reminder of that. Like like we said platoon leader, squad leader, like it's that word leader is emphasized not commander, not manager. Yeah. Well, it's you know? it's that subliminal, it's that messaging, it's the it's the seed, you know, that's being planted, right? So whether or not you um see the fruits of that you know, it's constantly working in the back of your head. You know, it changes your, you know, your way of thinking. But, but going back to, um, you know, like you said, to platoon leaders. So a platoon leader is responsible for what the patrol does or fails to do. So the platoon leader, that's typically a uh, 01, 02 uh, lieutenant, right? So an officer and he, he is in charge of his platoon, platoon being, you know, made up of three teams. Um, you know, typically four guys, so then you know your two squad leaders. But he's he is responsible for uh, positioning you know different teams. His you know one of his main jobs is you know keeping headquarters so higher leadership informed through different reports, keeping a time schedule through backwards planning, which we've talked about before, and supervising and you know issuing follow on orders. So keeping the you know, the platoon, you know, his unit moving, um, keeping them abreast of the situation and then keeping everybody on the same page. What was your yeah, equivalent? Oh, uh, so it just be platoon commander. It's just the terminology again, but, um, and it's same rank or similar rank. Um, we have like LT to, so even a captain can do that because we don't have captains as company commanders. That's the rank of major. It's Interesting. just, it's just okay. different. Yeah. Um, but I like though, I know we talked about it in the pre-show kind of, and I'm like going to contradict myself because I know we were, I, I said that in a platoon context, because we're referencing the Ranger handbook, everyone should be called a leader. Like you shouldn't be calling yourself a manager if you are like there's right. an issue. It's right. very different. But I think a platoon leader though, they're kind of like junior management because yes, yes, they're in charge. Yes, they're leading your guys, but there's their objective is still directly supporting managements right? for the most part. And they're not, and I don't care what anybody says, most platoon leaders slash commanders are not thinking about the lowest dude in their thing. They're thinking about their mission is supporting the person above them. Numbers. Yeah, numbers. Yeah. So they're they're like a junior manager, I would say in a normal context for people not in a in the military. I'd almost say uh, a lower manager. Yeah. At least yeah, at like, least in our context, yeah. because then you yeah. know for us the you know the company commander would be I'd say mid tier and then yeah. you know higher on you know, headquarters and everything yeah. else up and up and up. Right. Um, yeah. But this guy would be like lower management for sure because, right. and I, and like, I'm sure you guys have had this too. And like everybody who's worn a uniform has, you get that new platoon commander slash leader who wants to like talk to the dudes to try and be cool with him. But like, they're kind of weird. And like the guys don't know what to say to him. Cause they're still like, yeah, totally sir. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it again, like in the context, not in the uniform, that'd be, I don't know, like if you worked in a warehouse or something and the dude from upstairs who wears a different shirt comes to the floor to try and, you know, check up on the guys, but he doesn't really know what your job is. Right. And like everybody right. knows he doesn't know what your job is. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so it, I'd and say I think he's like a manager. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to always be the case is, you know, as long as we have, you know, officer and non-commissioned officers, right. The whole officer branch is always going to be disconnected because from the get go, you could be. You know, you could have an hour in the army. You would outrank everybody that is under you. 
doesn't matter what which, their experience level doesn't matter anything you're in charge of them and what you say goes which again in in like because this could be a whole other podcast we should do talking about how it should be ran in the con and like the breakdown but oh i'd love to do that I, that'd be fun i have said day one officers should not be direct entry they should be taken from the nco core 100 percent. and you should be like as a platoon leader you should be like 35 years old not 21 yeah it should be like you've branched off to the management side now but you have like 12 years in at the lowest level Oh yeah, I mean, and, and that's what it is so frustrating. Is we already it. have green to gold. <laughs> we already have a way in place. It's just we're not utilizing it. Yeah, our military has that too. It's called CFR, uh, Commission from Ranks. But usually, it's really older NCOs do it, and they're doing it for the pension because they're never in a platoon commander position for like longer than six months. That's they're crazy. doing it just so they can get a check in the box and then go to some Gucci staff job in and a unit, hide out. And then they retire. And I'm like, why did they commission then? They didn't right. benefit the army as a whole. They're doing it for a pension. It's crazy. But again, like there's there's so many ways like I could explain how to run it better. But um, yeah, so in this context, like you said, he's responsible for what the patrol does or fails to do. They're overall commander of, well, again, commander slash leader of your your smallest team. Yeah. Of, the platoon. Yeah, of, of yeah. day-to-day life, right? So like I said, he's in charge of your timetable. He's in charge of, you know, keeping, you know, his leadership, you know, your overall headquarters element, you know, aware of what's going on. And then you know, he supervises, make sure that things get done within the platoon. And, you know, if he has to, you know, make fragos or fragmentary orders, if he has to make fall on orders for you, um, he'll do that as well. Did you guys have uh, in your normal day-to-day life in the lines, did they have their own offices? Like they weren't with the platoon? Oh yeah, of course. So ours were like that too, but right before I got out, we had a new platoon commander come in and I bullied him really hard. And I told him that he's useless in the company office with all the other platoon commander losers. And I said, you need to be here where the platoon needs you. And then his argument was, well, what if the company commander needs me? And I laughed and said, we have a phone. I'm like, you can call him. And he literally hid in our platoon office and we were very efficient as a platoon, but I bullied him very hard to get him in that office. Yes. (laughs) As it should be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But again, I was the only dude in the company doing that, but I was, you know, on the way out and I was trying to set a precedence that I'm going to care until the mm. day I leave. But right. Um, yeah. I was just curious if you guys had that separation as well. So like you said, it's an even bigger gap if they're not even with the guys. That makes no sense. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the nature of the beast, right? But I totally agree that that needs to be, you know, that needs to be abolished that, you know, transitioning from, you know, not commissioned officer, you know, from your, you know, from your enlisted dudes, you know, who have, you know, time years under their belt, you know, to where you actually know your job and you can actually lead with confidence and from, you know, a position of, you know, actual authority, knowing that this dude's done the same thing that you have and he knows what's up. Like that needs to be the standard. It's just crazy because, um, We'll use, I'll use McDonald's as an example. Okay. Full disclosure. I've never worked at McDonald's, but I've eaten fast food before. So, um, if you work at McDonald's, I'm assuming you don't get hired like day one. Maybe again, you might like hire management. Sure. Like maybe, maybe you managed, I don't know, a very successful business and now you're managing this entire McDonald's as a whole, but I don't picture them hiring someone off the street to be your frontline cook supervisor with no experience from the McDonald's, like they would promote within, you know what I mean? As you like progress. So it's so odd that the military's like, well, this guy's got a degree. He's in charge now of 34 souls. Like that's insane. It's insane. It doesn't work. But 
That's how the army runs it for some reason. Exactly. And that's what I mean is this separation of like the, the men versus the officers. It, it will always be that way. Like you and like you, me and six are not going to change the big army's um, policy. It's just um, there's things that they're doing that are probably not the best practice. And there's things that um, taking from this ranger handbook that can be changed to fit most people's application rather than referencing it verbatim. Right. Well, and, that, and like you said, it's that application that means everything here. It's the whole reason why we're doing this. Yeah. So who's so under him in the book? It's I can do this one. So it's the okay. platoon sergeant, right? Yeah. So yeah, the platoon sergeant, the senior non-commissioned officer or NCO in the patrol, and second in succession of command. The platoon sergeant helps and advises the platoon leader, leads the patrol in the leader's absence, supervises patrol's administration, logistics, and maintenance, and prepares issues paragraph of four of the op order. And then just more mission and orders verbatim. But essentially, he's the most senior enlisted guy, and he's he can take over the platoon if the platoon commander died, in layman's terms. He's right. the number two. He's the second in command. And I like, too, how it says advises and helps. So yes. this is a thing where I had platoon. We called them warrants. Just, again, different rank, but platoon warrant, platoon sergeant, same thing, where they would influence and lead the platoon commander in the direction it needed to go because the platoon commander was weak and didn't know. And he wouldn't say this platoon warrant I had specifically never said, Hey, sir, you're like an idiot. That's wrong. Blah, blah, blah. He would just say, Hey, sir, have you thought of this? Like he would influence him with words, like a really tactfully. And then we would essentially do what the platoon warrant wanted to do because he didn't trust the platoon commander. Um, and then he always used to tell me, cause I used to like watch him the way he speak to him. And I was an E2 or E3 equivalent, right. whatever it is for you guys by this point. And I'd always look at him and the platoon weren't like me. Cause I was like motivated and I was keen and he'd always be like, Hey, watch this. And he'd like, he, like he knew I was watching what he was doing to the commander. And then he would tell me that he's doing it to get what the platoon needs. Because the reality is in 10 months when this guy leaves, the platoon warrant will still be there. I yep. will still be there. So yeah. like he's manipulating it. So it benefits us right now. hundred percent. Yeah. A good, a good platoon sergeant will relentlessly bully the, yes. you know, the platoon leader relentlessly. Cause that's what needs yeah. to happen because you have to think big army for those who aren't in it, mm. you know, you'll be at your platoon. doesn't matter what rank you are. You'll have some fresh O one fresh out of West point has a total of two hours in the army. And he is now in charge of your life. Now, do you want that guy off free to do whatever he wants, whatever he learned in school? Or do you want your platoon sergeant to say, hey, sir, our guys kind of need water. Can you make that happen? (laughs) You know, you you need someone who actually, you know, knows what they're doing. So. I almost think it should be reversed. And I talked about this a lot before when I was in the military. I think the platoon sergeant equivalent let's say that rank i think he should be the platoon leader and i think the officer coming in should be the second in command because he can he can watch him from a men from a position yeah it'd make a lot more sense i think it should be flipped yeah well and think about so think about the nature of a platoon leader versus a platoon sergeant right so platoon leader you know he's in charge of your timetable he's in charge of you know keeping headquarters informed you know, mm-hmm. issuing you know fall on orders everything your platoon sergeant he's in charge of your resupply so you know, water, food, ammunition, casualty reports, setting up a casualty point, you know, if you, if and when you take casualties, right. And then adhering to the platoon leader's schedule. So wouldn't it make so much more sense 
to have to a guy who's actually right to have yeah. the platoon sergeant who's <laughs> actually making everything happen yes. and then to have the platoon leader be in the secondary role say hey i need this to happen and having the platoon sergeant i don't know do his job like yeah. shouldn't shouldn't that <laughs> you know happen you know just inherently off the back the other way flipping it too is that so if you even change the terminology so if the platoon sergeant was in a position you just called it platoon leader and then the officer coming in was called platoon officer and that's just the term they they used the squad leaders would get things done because the platoon leader used to be the sergeant they worked for he'd have rapport with them and things would get done 100% well and he knows how things he like, knows how get things run. work in the platoon because yes. he was there and then the platoon officer is literally an administrative position and everyone would know it yeah. You're literally here to give beans, um, bullets, water, you know, accessories to the guys. That's it. That's all you're here for. Right. Well, so you're so you're supplying your dudes and you're supervising. So yes. you're supervising your squad leaders, making sure that you know your security, you know, support, everything gets done because you've done it before. You know, you've mm-hmm. been a team leader, you've been a squad leader, you know, you've risen to this point. So you know what needs to happen in the platoon, and you're you know, you are trusting your squad leaders, right? But you are, you know, checking in and make sure that things are getting done. So why not have a guy actually knows what, what's going on, you know, in that yeah. position? I, I don't know. And I've, I've thought about this a lot when I was a private, when we, whenever we'd be doing stupid stuff at work, I'm like, why is it not flipped? Like this would make so much more sense. Right. If the platoon warrant was in charge and the platoon officer was just the officer, he was just the admin dude. Because that's the that's the role he's fulfilling. I mean, yeah. stick him with your RTO, with your you know, with your radio dude. Have him fall around the platoon sergeant and get things done. Mm. Keep everybody up to speed. But you know, we have he, to. He's because not making of, any decisions right. that'll kill people. <laughs> right. Or if you know he is in a position where he can make decisions, then you know, have your platoon sergeant there as a sounding board. Like mm. you know, t- like tell me this doesn't make sense, but. How long generally or typically, again, we'll use because we're referencing the Ranger Handbook, so I know it's the most senior dude. How long are they usually in the Army for by this point to be platoon sergeant? How much time in? Oh, man, these guys are are typically E7. Because they're an E7, right? Yeah, yeah E7. So you're talking about at least 20 years? At least like, oh, no, less than that. Probably like, I'd say 10? like 10. Yeah, probably 10 years. Okay. Like three yeah, contracts. So yeah, see, so again, your model is like the progression is the good thing because in Canada, it's like you're like a 20-year warrant at this point. Goodness. Yeah, so I so I only did four years, but if they didn't know I was getting out, I could have made team leader or I could have made my – I was already team leader. I could have made uh, E5. E5, okay. By the end of my yeah. first enlistment. Yeah, so again, the the progression is just very different. And um, again, we're just referencing this, this model here. But okay, so platoon sergeant at least 10 years in. I'd say around that time, yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by FieldSeats.com. FieldSeats.com is an e-commerce, federally licensed firearms dealer. They provide virtual reviews on brand new firearms, and at the end of the review, they give away the firearm being reviewed to a lucky attendee. Each item reviewed is given away for free as part of their promotion for purchasing what they call a field review. Currently, they've got field reviews up ranging from $20 for a brand new Smith & Wesson M&P Shield 2.0 to $65 for a new Galil Ace Gen 2. 
Each review is limited to around 38 people, so your chance of winning the giveaway are so much higher. Use code STRONGMEN to receive 10% off your entire purchase at fieldseats.com. Be sure to check out their Instagram and Twitter at fieldseats if you want to go ahead and give them a follow and see what future items they have coming down the pipe. Thanks for your attention, and let's get on with this week's episode. So, one rung down, you have your squad leader. Yeah. So, yeah. squad leader is responsible for what the squad does or fails to do. He's the tactical. job. <laughs> yeah. He is a tactical leader who leads by example. In addition to completing casualty fear cards, so whenever you have a casualty, setting up their status, everything else to you know your platoon sergeant. Um, he will direct the maintenance of the squad's weapons and equipment. He inspects everybody's equipment, clothing, weapons. He keeps his leadership, so the platoon leader, the platoon, platoon leader, platoon sergeant informed, and he submits his reports to the platoon sergeant. So, uh, laser reports, spot reports, uh, basically just keeping him up to speed on the status of his squad. So, okay. How the, okay, yeah, so, yeah. So how this so, is how this looks like in a in a platoon. So a squad leader, he's in charge of uh, two to three teams. So two, you know, your alpha, your alpha and bravo teams, and then if you're attached to a gun team, he's in charge of them as well. So yeah, I'm just like listening to this and reading it. Um, yeah. So your how many years in does this guy have? So this guy's a six? yeah. So this guy's an E six. So he's got five to six years in. Hmm. Okay. And then, yeah, so he's the tactical leader who leads by example. Um, yeah. So again, it's like, I know we're referencing this. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. It's different though, because we didn't have really this position. So I guess by rank, I was that position, but my job wasn't that definition at all. I didn't report to the platoon sergeant. That was my second in command's job. Okay. I reported to the platoon commander. Interesting. Yeah. Again, it's it's just a different context. And now that like we're actually reading it together and like going through the book, I'm like, oh, it's not even close to what I did. I was that rank, but um not the role. Right. Yeah, because um even like you said, inspects um weapons, clothing and equipment. That was my second in command's job. I didn't do that. I was literally in charge of completing missions and objectives, and I would like come up with orders for my guys and I would command and control them at the uh fighting fighting level. Yeah. So on paper, I didn't do any of the admin. Yeah. Right. So on paper, you know, it's word like this, but in practice, so squad leader, he, you know, he leans on his team leaders. So team leaders will be, you know, checking guys, weapons, equipment, clothing, make sure they have food, you know, ammunition, everything. They send all that information up to the squad leader who disseminates that to leadership. So it's, it's kind of like a stopgap, but then, you know, we'll kind of, we're kind of bringing off from the, um, you know, from the flow of this, but team leader, right. In charge of his three dudes, you know, they are, you know, he is their dad, their entire lives. Right. Um, he, you know, make sure everything runs smoothly, leads his team. The squad leader leads the team leaders. So he trusts his team leaders to, you know, direct their team, get everybody online, do everything that they need to do. But then he's in charge of movement, you know, directing fires, that sort of thing. So I'd almost argue then that the, um, the team leader is not dad. He's like big brother. The dad is squad leader because the big brother is just yeah, that's commanding a, the little kids. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good uh, metaphor as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and because the squad leader is actually in charge, the team leader is not. He's just doing what the squad leader tells him to do. Essentially, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So he, he has a lot like more autonomy. Brother. He has a lot more autonomy yeah. than that. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, and you know, 
plain Jane words, yes. In plain Jane words, right? And and again, like looking at it just verbatim from the Ranger Handbook perspective as we're reading it, the team leader, they're closer to the actual dudes than the squad leader. Like there's that oh, 100%. There's that yeah. separation. So that's why I would say he's like the big brother. Yeah, I totally agree with in that. Like layman's yeah. terms. And the squad leader's the dad or the mom or whatever analogy you want to use for your family. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess, yeah, the squad leader, like you said, is just overall, he's, he's in charge of the bigger picture of the squad. Right. Make sure the squad gets work done. Yeah. Um, and then again, for, you know, normal perspective outside of a military context, I would just say that's like your supervisor at whatever the smallest unit level your, your job, um, has you broken down into. So anything from like, you know, I don't know normal jobs. All I know is uniform stuff. I'm trying to think of any normal job. Um, I don't know if you're like a mechanic or something. You probably have a supervisor that supervises X amount of mechanics, but he reports to, you know, someone above him kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. And then, so the, I guess, yeah. So there's the weapon squad leader, like, like we said, just well, following along. Sorry. I just found a, I just thought yeah. of a, I just thought of a metaphor. So like I'm a nurse, right? Sure. So, yep. you know, I, you know, do everything with my patients. I have a nurse team leader who is nurse. a, well, I have a team leader, right? Who is a registered nurse, bigger scope than I do. You know, they direct me, you know, to do whatever, right? Yep. So they lead me tell me what to do. Above them would be our, um, is it charge our, nurse or no, is that our, even our, our, no, our nurse manager. So charge nurse, okay. right? Okay, so, yeah. uh, nurse manager, she, you know, directs the RNs, the team leads. You know, if, yep. you know, things aren't running smoothly, she, you know, ropes people back in, you know, gives you your left and rights, your scope. Um, and like you said, just kind of like a mill management position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes total sense. And uh, and that's what I mean. Just, again, um, the Ranger Handbook has it broken down nicely where you actually have more leadership positions than other um, jobs or other fields. Because, again, um, I know for the LE side, like, we didn't have actual um squad leaders or well we had supervisors but again it's different like they weren't in charge of 10 of you they were just the most senior guy you know what i mean because like right. we never operated in a group of 10 like you operate at the individual level that guy's just who you report to first right so it like it's hard to normalize some of these leadership positions from the ranger handbook to other jobs or day-to-day life because again it's um a lot of jobs don't have this much detail in the breakdown in terms of leadership positions. Yeah. It's, it is really hard to give a one-to-one example, but I feel like the core, you know, the concepts can be mm-hmm. very, very applicable. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I was saying, um, I think like the big brother to, you know, like, like dad or mom or whatever. Right. And, um, yeah. I, I know, f- I know for us again, not to dive into the breakdown too much cause we're following the Ranger handbook, but it was explained to me when I was very young that, the um, the person in charge of like the section would be the dad the second in command is the mom so it would be essentially here like your let's say the let's say the team leader or whatever and then the dudes are like the brothers or like you know like, like, like the kids or whatever right so the mom is directing everything that the, that affects the dad's mission but the dad is not you know the disciplinary let's just say let's say it's the mom who's in charge of you know inspecting equipment inspecting your weapon inspecting clothing making sure you have food making sure they have water because the dad the squad leader is focused on a bigger picture right the day-to-day versus big picture stuff yeah exactly and then weapon squad leader the weasel he 
is responsible for what Weapon Squad does or fails to do. He has the same duties and responsibilities as the squad leader. So same exact job, uh, just a different uh, different force under him. Is and he's the most senior squad leader in the platoon, like technically on paper. I don't I don't know technically on paper. I don't think so because a lot of the time, you know, your your gun teams will be attached to you know Alpha and Bravo team. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because for us, the weapons we called it weapons debt. There was the most senior commander. Okay, you know, and honestly, so I don't know on paper, but that's how our platoon ran it. So yeah, like our weapon squad, our you know weapon squad leader, he would pick from the cream of the crop of you know the team leaders yeah. that were active mm-hmm. in his platoon. So he got yeah. he got guys that were switched on. He interviewed them if he liked them. You know, you were on the gun team, but you, you started. But you started at the lowest level, which was the gunner, and then you had mm-hmm. to graduate to the, uh, you know, the assistant gunner. So the team leader mm-hmm. in that, you know, in that structure. So he had a lot of really switch on dudes, and he had a lot of leeway with that. Yeah, and that makes total sense doing it that way versus just um, just being like, "Okay, you're in charge now," but you don't get to handpick your guys. No, doing that it that way makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and it makes sense to have right. them be the most senior because you know that element. You know, provides movement for your you know for your platoon so yeah, and that's how it was for us too and that's why i was asking it was uh, it was the most senior um master corporal within the platoon again he'd be like an e5 but he was the most senior e5 of the, all of the other three because the, the like the caveat was once he got promoted to e6 he'd be in a different position yeah that's fair i could see that mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah Okay, and then uh, team leader, we kind of went over it, but again, so the team leader just controls the movement of the fire team and the raid and placement of fire. Uh, the team leader leads from the front and uses proper commands and signals. The team leader maintains accountability of their of the rangers' weapons, equipment, and ensures rangers maintain unit standards in all areas and knowledgeable of their tasks of the operation. So, so yeah, I would definitely say he's the example that you gonna want the guys to be. Right, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's the pinnacle of what the soldiers should want to be, is the team leader. Right. And it goes back to yeah. just the very basic, you know, principles of leadership, right? So mm-hmm. you eat last, you, you know, you're the first to wake up, last to, you know, last to go to sleep. You know, he is, you know, you exude the standard, you're physically fit, you know all your stuff. Um, you know, you're, you're big brother. Yeah, exactly. We, uh. I remember too, we were, we, you and I talked about this before, but we can bring it up again. Like, so you said, eat last, eat first, whatever, or, um, versus eating first. I had a, I had a team leader or again, the context is different because we had different, uh, breakdowns, but he would always eat first and take the first shift and then sleep like all night. What a loser. Over. Yeah. Yeah. He did it all the time. What a loser, man. And I remember when I got to that rank, I would take, um, I would always, I wouldn't even pick rations. Like if we were being supported by like, um, company quartermaster and like, we didn't have rations in our rucks. Like, let's say the company was feeding us or something. I would tell the guys in my section and be like, just grab me whatever rations left. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, just you guys pick, you guys right. pick whatever you want. I'll eat whatever's left. Um, and I, I would always take the first watch, the middle one and the last, I would take the first so I could do orders while they were sleeping. And then I would take the worst one in the middle. And then I would ask to be woken up first so I could get food ready for them when they were sleeping. Yeah, I did something similar. So I would always, you know, obviously always eat last after your guys. Um, and then I was always, whatever the four o'clock shift was, I'd always take that because mm-hmm. that's always when dudes start to dip. 
um, yeah. be able to do all my, you know, checks on everybody. And then I would ask to be woken up, you know, with the first or with the last with the watch first. just so I can, yeah. you know, like you said, do all the stuff you need to do as a leader before, you know, the rest of you dudes wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, that, and that's exactly like I did the exact same thing. It's just, I would include the first watch because, you, well, you know how it is anytime you're doing anything. Uh, once people are actually get time to go to ground and they're, you know, in a patrol base or whatever you're doing, um, guys aren't falling asleep right away anyway. So I'm like, okay, well I'll take the first one and then you guys can kind of do your own personal hygiene whenever, like whenever we discussed uh patrol base routine, you know, slash camp routine, right. like those things, I would be up f- f- like right away. I'm like, you guys can take care of your stuff and I'll cover. Yeah. hundred percent. Do, you know, do your maintenance, do your hygiene, mm-hmm. all the stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I guess we'll just talk about it kind of like, like what we said. So obviously following the ranger handbook, there's certain positions that are, they're essentially just attached to your patrol. Right. These people are outside assets or should be, should be outside assets. They should not be people that are infantry dudes doubling as this position. They should be specialized. They should specialized hashtag radio operator. Shouldn't be an infantry guy. Should be a radio dude because it's an actual MOSID. These people went to school to be radio operators. That's their job. Um, so yeah, you got the medic, um, the radio operator and the forward observer. And obviously the medic in layman's terms, he's just there to assist with all the aid for the platoon, anything medical wise, it's his show, Yeah. regardless of rank, regardless of, you know, the platoon leader being in charge, the medics in charge of all the healthcare stuff. Right. So in practice, he works with the platoon sergeant to set up a, uh, like a casualty care point or casualty collection point. Um, he, will supervise like the eight layer teams if there's a um i forget what it's called but in the in the platoon in the squad there are guys that are trained up on more medical stuff so they're T- oh so we just call them c guys and, and and we had a couple in every uh section yeah essentially the same thing yeah so yeah. He, he was in charge of them because you know he yeah. was the guy that was actually training them up in that yes. skill set right so he was in yeah. charge of them he was in charge of health and hygiene you know of his platoon so you know, checking your feet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you got a rash, if you have a minor injury, you know, taking care of all of that. He takes care of treating casualties, doing triage, everything in the Cassivac site. Um, and then personally, he personally checks his dudes. You know, mm-hmm. so he'll, you know, every night he'll go check everybody's feet, make sure no one's, you know, growing anything. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got, he's the dude with Motrin, tells you to take a knee, drink water. All that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. And he's in charge of uh, requesting class eight. So medical supplies, um, combat lifesavers. That's what they were called. Um, okay. And then he ensures that all the casualty fear car, all the casualty feeder cards, all the cards that, you know, have all the casualty information. So uh, method of injury, injury sustained, everything um, on them is accurate when he sends them out to higher care. And then, what rank usually or typically would you guys get as a medic attached to your platoon? Oh goodness, they they were pretty low because you would have like your, you know, like You'd have your platoon medic, medic your... and then company medic and then yeah, you know, so higher up. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you have your platoon medic, and he'd be like E four. Your company medic, okay. he'd be like an E five or an E six. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, and then like we said, this this guy should be an attachment. Right. Should be for sure. Mm-hmm. And he should and then, be, you know, working in, yep. you know, so anywhere that he's not attached, he needs to be making those combat lifesavers, those, those, mm-hmm. uh, TC three guys. 
so that yeah. he, you know, he doesn't have to do as much. If you can trust two guys, you know, per, per squad to have a, you know, be able to provide a higher level of care. That's absolutely invaluable. It's just more hands. Yeah, for sure. And again, this is a, this is big army picture of having only one medic in a platoon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, like you said, the radio operator, so responsible for establishing and maintaining communication with higher headquarters and within the patrol. Um, so yeah, then he's got a whole list of tasks, but essentially he's in charge of, or he should be in charge of all the radios, all the frequencies, all the crypto radio. He's going to go through every yeah radio nerd. He goes through everything for the squad leader. He goes through everything for, um, the platoon leadership. Like he makes sure everyone has their radios and he makes sure everything's squared away. And again, this is why, like we said, this guy should be an outside specialty asset. It shouldn't be an infantry guy doubling down in that position. A hundred percent. Cause that needs to be his job. You know, he only needs yeah. to focus on maintaining that radio and maintain communication. Cause you have to think, you know, during a big operation, he could have two or three guys in his ear and he has to sift through all yeah. that noise and, you know, give you good information, you know, cause he's sending up reports. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The whole deal. So. Yeah. I've only seen it done a handful of times in um, certain units where we actually had a radio, uh, operator i guess is the term for the ranger handbook but other units it was just some infantry nerd doubling down which doesn't make sense yeah it's pretty typical Um, (laughs) yeah but it's it's not like realistic and also um again for the platoon context here i've only seen it once one time where the platoon commander actually carried his own radio and talked himself so it was actually him and the radio operator he used literally as um his security element and he was like the medics whoa i've never seen that but this, the, this platoon leader or platoon commander, I could jump back and forth between the terms. He used to be um, a non-commissioned member. He was like a bro corporal uh, okay. and he commissioned. Yeah. And this guy like had experience, had like multiple deployments, I had a cool makes guy sense. course. This guy was totally squared away and he told the radio infantry weenie, he straight up said like, dude, you're going to be my security element. And anytime the medic needs a bitch, you're going to go with him and keep him alive. I can talk on my own radio. That's tight. <laughs> and, he, and he carried his own like a gangster. He carried two radios. What a monster. Yeah, he carried two 117 Foxtrots, and he had two headsets on. Wow. Yeah, so that that's like the example of how it should be. But like we said, um, the radio operator is usually some infantry weenie that yeah. probably, you know, got just tasked to like, you're in charge of this now. Yeah, probably doesn't know how to use half the radio. Yeah, or or like we joked before with six, like every time you go on any exercise, some dude ends up zero-rising all the crypto because oh, always. You know, he's forgot or like doesn't know. Right. Um. Yeah, so, yeah, radio operator, again, very specific to, um, you know, your, your patrol context, but it's it's your radio dude. He's just in charge of radio stuff. He's a, he's a specialty guy attached. Right. And, same and then thing you want to the... talk about the forward observer? Yeah, because we didn't have that in a normal platoon. Yeah. They I've, were like company. I've literally worked with the forward observer one time, but mm. same sort of thing. They're attached. The FO works for the platoon leader, serves as the eyes and ears of field artillery and mortars. So his job, he's got a radio. He's attached at the hip to the platoon leader and he can call for fire. So he calls our or he calls for fire for artillery and mortars. Um, he maintains communications with the fire support officer. So his FSO, his, you know, his leader in that chain and he maintains his a grid, you know, so exact coordinates at mm-hmm. all times, you know, be, obviously because of the nature of his job, but he's just another asset for the platoon. He calls for fire he sticks with the platoon layer. That's that's it. 
And are those guys artillery by trade or what are they? Are they infantry? No, not infantry by trade. They're, they're their own MOS. Oh, okay. So it's totally different MOS just to be a, a forward observer. Right. That's cool. So, and that's, yeah, the, and, and cool that's the thing. So, platoon. yeah. And you know, that's the thing. So, you know, he's schooled up on METC. He's schooled up on, you know, being able to provide, you know, situation maps, overlays, you know, he can do terrain sketches. So his whole job is the terrain and the location of, you know, all of your, you know, all of your assets. And there, and sorry, that's just artillery and mortars. That's not fast air or anything like no air assets, right? No, to the best of my knowledge, that is just artillery and mortars. I feel like the field support officers of the episode, the, you know, higher up would do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, and that's cool that it's like an attached um, attached dude at the platoon level. Like that makes total sense. Your your platoon has more capability because like I said, I've only seen that position once and it was at the company level. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have it in the platoon. <clears throat> Crazy. I mean, well, you know, how many bodies do you have, right? So Yeah, we had 24. Yeah. <laughs> way less people. <laughs> I mean, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, we had way less guys. But again, in the perfect world, I think including these positions would make sense. Right. Um, yeah, and then so your your I guess your assumption of commander, your chain of command. So following this format, as people let's say theoretically get killed off, it's what platoon leader, uh, platoon sergeant, right? And then would it be the most senior, most senior squad, squad leader? leader? Yeah. Yep, and then just working your way down. And you work to your way down the loneliest, the loneliest private until the, the lowliest <laughs> private. And well, and that's the yeah. whole thing, you know, with Rage's right. So the last R. Rarely will I display the intestinal fortitude required to fight onto the ranger objective and complete the mission, though I be the lone survivor. So, yep. you know, this is drilled into the rangers that, you know, I don't care if you're the lowliest private, you need to be ready to, you know, fill to up that leadership on. position and complete the mission. Complete the the mission. mission always comes first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. N- yeah. No, it, it makes sense that it's, um, it's definitely indoctrinated into that, that regiment and that culture. But like we said, um, the Ranger Handbook just seems to be the end-all be-all for any conventional unit, regardless if you're in the Ranger Regiment or not. And people just quote it like gospel, but they don't even actually understand it or they don't they do not do things properly. They don't it. live it they out. They don't understand the context. Yeah. They don't live it out. I mean, so, and that's the thing that's why I talked about on this, you know, on the first, um, on the first episode of this series is, you know, people look to the Rangers as the standard because they are, you know, these dudes are the cream of the crop. They are what every infantryman wants to be or you know should want to be, should want to be yeah, right should want to be yeah. but you know you're not living out these most basic you know these most basic things no but <laughs> yeah yeah but following um, the following the ranger handbook just so assumption of command like you said you know top down as far as <laughs> uh, as far as the me grinder tells you to go but um you know then your basic uh your basic tasks are you know, just to keep everybody informed on the situation. So your unit headquarters, you're checking all of your security, your weapon systems, your equipment, stats on all your dudes. You have to give off, you know, fragmentary orders if you need to, reorganize if you need to, and you're just, you know, completing the mission, holding the standard. So your noise and light discipline, you continue movement, everything. So basically just, you know, you're, take your brief halt, get your feet under you, and you know, continue on. Um, so again, looking at this from the outside, this will be a, a dumb question, but I'm sure there's people who are wondering it. Um, 
in an ideal world outside of the range regiment in a conventional infantry regiment should the should the like squad leaders team leaders and platoon leaders should uh, are you trying to get them all like ranger qualified is that like the goal that these guys are in these positions who are actually qual- like qualified in a uh, ranger school from like the leadership standpoint that that is not just because of the you know the sheer resources that would have to go into that and if you're in a unit that's like constantly deploying that's not really a you know, feasible it's thing. Not, it's not realistic. Okay. But right. ideally that's what you'd want though, right? Yeah. These guys that I, yeah. I would say, cool. you know, like you said, okay. you know, whenever we're able to do an episode on, you know, how we think, you know, an army should, be, should run, be broken down. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like, you know, these guys should be the standard, you know, imagine yeah. if every single unit was a ranger regiment. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I'm just asking because again, um, for like Canada or the UK or, you know, Australia or New Zealand or any other major player like Germany, France, whatever. Um, like we don't have an equivalent to Ranger. There's like some stuff that's similar, but I know for um, the conventional side here, again, like in a light infantry model, cause I was, I was never mechanized at any point. Um, we had like your basic recce course and you could, would go to recce platoon. You would do essentially like very close to a Ranger task, like when you're there. But as guys got promoted out of the platoon, you could you could essentially return to a generic rifle company. And I know um, the best guys were guys that were recce qualified and you'd want to stack them as like leaders. Or if you're like a private and you're new and your section commander doesn't have recce, but then you see a section commander that does have recce, the guy who has recce is usually more squared away. Oh, 100%. It'd, it'd be like the guy that has ranger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but again, we did, we don't wear tabs. Like, you don't, there's no differentiation on the uniform, but like you can tell by like the way they give orders or the way they operate in a field environment. Like, oh, that right. guy probably has recce. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's similar in that context. It's just, we use a different terminology, but, um, yeah. And then it, it all relates back to, you know, the platoon context and, uh, being a fighting unit, being a, you know, the platoon for, um, either reconnaissance patrols or fighting patrols or, whatever the instance is, but yeah, I was just curious if you guys are actually ranger qualified, like at the team leader level or uh, above. Not that I've seen. No, because I know in the ranger regiment, it is though. Like that's a requirement. You right. won't be in a team leader position unless you like pass the course. And if you don't do it like twice, they kick you out of the unit. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, they push immediately. You know, if you're in regiment, you're, you know, you're, you're going, yeah, you're going. It, and if you a, don't, like you're out. It's like everyone does it. Yeah, yeah. you're out. Which, I'm, again, makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. And it, and after a while, I'm, I talked to a ranger a while ago, but it's like, you know, if you're not qualified after, you know, such and such time, like you get bullied into it. They kick it. you out. Yeah. Yeah, like, or they kick you out. They'll right? bully the hell out of you until you do. If you fail, you're out. Like, Which, yeah, again, they don't play. honestly, it's how it's how it should be. It's oh, 100%. It's standard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they, and they guard that standard jealously. Yeah, but totally. Yeah. And uh, again, for us, it's different because like I've only heard of it once in my whole time in because uh, Recce Platoon at one point had a max exodus of people releasing from the military. So they literally had nobody. Wow. So what they did was they ran an OJT program, like on the job training for guys. And you got to go there for a year and then they eventually ran a Recce course. And if you were successful, you stayed. And if you didn't, they punted you. But when I did basic Recce as like a private, um, I wasn't in Reiki Platoon. I was in a normal rifle company and I had to like do a selection. I had to do an interview. I had to do PTS, all that stuff. But once you passed Reiki, if you were good, you got invited to the platoon. So like there was a separation. Okay. 
Yeah. So that that's why I was wondering if, if Ranger was kind of similar in the context of a normal infantry battalion. Like if you're a Ranger qualified, are you seen as like a higher caliber of soldier? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, man. Well, that was chapter one of the Ranger Handbook titled Leadership. This was our Ranger Handbook abridged with the hard time strong men with seven and nomad. Thanks for listening. Stay in the fight. <laughs>